In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we are going to hear a piece about how to talk to kids about your cancer and what it means for them. This is a topic that hits home for so many diagnosed with breast cancer. Although we're used to the stories of grandmothers with cancer perhaps wanting to shield their grown children from the realities they are facing, the truth is that many women are confronted with breast cancer when they are childbearing age. Some are pregnant when they're diagnosed, and some have littles or teens around them. For me, my diagnosis came when I was still breastfeeding, so the pain of that time is forever colored by the conversations I was forced to have with my daughter around her sudden weaning and us going from being together 24-7 to me spending huge chunks of time away from her to receive chemo and go to all my doctor's appointments. It was an intensely painful time for both of us. I would have loved to have had tools to help me have these very difficult conversations so that she didn't have to feel so scared and alone and I didn't have to feel so guilty about what my diagnosis might be doing to her. For those of you listening, maybe this sounds familiar to you. I was at once grateful that if cancer had to come into our family, that it was happening to me and not to my child. But on the other hand, it actually was happening to her too. There's a saying that when one person gets cancer, the whole family gets cancer. So we need to know how to talk about it. My guest today is intimately aware of how hard, but also how necessary and ultimately rewarding talking to small kids about adult challenges affecting them can be. My guest, Sarah Ulsher, believes facing mountains like a cancer diagnosis ultimately gives us a chance to show our kids how to handle the hard stuff head on with grace. Sarah knows this all too well. When she was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer at 34 as a single parent facing a double mastectomy, chemo, and radiation, she needed, as she puts it, to figure out how to handle her cancer without totally freaking out her kid. Rather than choosing to keep her daughter in the dark, Sarah explained the diagnosis, included her child in the healing process, and documented her journey through cancer on a blog, which later led to the creation of books and calendars so that others would have a roadmap of how to do the same. Today, Sarah is here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's 2020 Changemaker issue. This was an issue in which we showcased women in our community working to make the landscape better for the next to be diagnosed. Welcome to The Burn, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me, April. I'm so glad to have you here. It's wonderful. So you're reading a piece that you wrote called Talking to Kids About Cancer. After you read it, we'll talk about what you've learned about resilience. And for everyone listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Sarah, I'll let you take it away. Thanks so much, April. 
When I was first told that I had cancer, my first thought was my daughter. What will I tell my six-year-old? How will she handle it? What does this mean for us? And if I die, what's going to happen to her? I left the doctor's office with a thick booklet titled, A Woman's Guide to Breast Cancer Treatment, and an absolutely blank mind. I'd gone into shock, and over the next several days, I repeatedly convinced myself that the doctor didn't actually diagnose me with cancer. I must have misunderstood. I never would have thought that being divorced would make me feel lucky, but I was incredibly thankful that my daughter was with her dad the weekend after my diagnosis. I spent a full two days coming to terms with the fact that I was a 34-year-old single parent with breast cancer, and then another week trying to figure out what to tell my kid. Like many parents, my first thought was to buy a book to explain cancer to her, but everything I ordered avoided the actual definition of cancer entirely. Rather than explaining what cancer is, they felt wishy-washy to me. Your mom might lose her hair, but she's so strong. She can beat cancer, give her lots of kisses and hugs and love. To me, this made cancer scarier. I imagined my daughter processing these books. What is cancer? Why do you need to be strong to beat it? What if you're not strong enough? For the previous five years before breast cancer, I'd run a business called Mighty and Bright, which focused on talking to kids about divorce. So I had a pretty good understanding of how kids deal with difficult news. I realized that honesty would relieve my daughter's anxiety rather than make it worse, and I decided that she could handle a scientific explanation of what was going on in my body. I came up with a way to simplify the science of cancer, and when the time came, I explained my diagnosis to her. Her reaction confirmed my suspicions. At first, she was terrified, but after I explained what cancer actually is, she felt a lot better. During my year of treatment, turning my explanation into a children's book became my creative outlet. As time went on, though, I found that a book could only skim the surface of our issues. Treatment had thrown our lives into chaos. My mom moved in with us. Sometimes I couldn't drop my daughter off or pick her up at school. And she had no concept of when I'd feel well enough to play a game with her. Watching her deal with the unknowns cancer created in our life together was heartbreaking. During my moments of lucidity, I tried to come up with a way to make things better. I ended up creating a magnetic calendar that could visually display what would happen each day and take some of the unknowns out of my treatment for her. I could easily write in who would be handling school drop-offs and pickups so that she wouldn't worry about getting forgotten. I could display my expected good days and my expected tired days from chemo, so we could plan activities to get excited about. When I gave it to my daughter, she was visibly relieved and looked forward to our time together each week to plan out the week ahead. My experience with cancer led me to completely change the purpose of my business. While a divorce is incredibly hard, I had no concept of the depth of suffering that families face every day until I had cancer. I realized that a visual calendar and a line of books could help families with a lot of different hard things. Since my treatment ended last year, I've worked with other moms to develop a calendar for kids who are facing their own cancer diagnosis and receive suggestions for other issues I plan to create calendars for, such as military families facing deployment, kids with autism, kids with epilepsy, and more. I also created a nonprofit arm of Mighty and Bright called Resilience Campaign. 
It is responsible for distributing brochures to doctor's offices so that parents have an easily accessible resource for explaining cancer to their kids. Resilience Campaign also distributes the kids' cancer calendars to children's hospitals so that kids can understand their own treatment and know what to expect. To be able to give back in this way is my life's work. The community of young cancer survivors and thrivers is thankfully rather small. While it may feel like a ton of parents with young kids have cancer or know someone who does, the truth is we are a relatively small group of people joined together by both the internet and the organizations that aim to help us. The support I've received from this community and the women who have come before me has been one of the best things to come out of my diagnosis. I hope that this book and calendar will make it easier for those who come after me. Mm, thank you so much for that, Sarah. Thank you for not only writing that, but of course, for the incredible work that you do to, like you said, make it easier for someone else coming up. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break here to let you catch your breath. Let me take a sip of water. And when we come back, you and I are going to chat about your belief that the darkest times are full of silver linings. So here's a message from a wildfire writing workshop participant, Jessica Fox, who was diagnosed with breast cancer at 43. See you after the break. I was diagnosed at 43 and had no idea what was going on. I was introduced to wildfire through a free writing workshop and was amazed at the community coming together and how wonderful April orchestrated that. I recently took a writing workshop and through her workshop three years after my cancer diagnosis, I'm finally processing some of the feelings that I've had and I'm starting to feel more and more whole and healed. All right. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank you again for your powerful writing. And like I said, all the inspiring work that you do. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So as I said before the break, you believe our darkest times are full of silver linings. Learning this lesson is a tremendous transformation. Can you talk a little bit about the opportunities you learned that come in the midst of our biggest challenges, in particular, what comes with parenting? Absolutely. I think for me, at least, um, there's a difference between trying to find the silver linings of things and like toxic positivity. And so I just want to say first off, like, this stuff is hard. Like when I say there are silver linings, that does not mean that it isn't hard and awful. It just means that there are also lessons to come out of it, even if you are stage four, even if you um, aren't sure whether or not cancer will ultimately be the end of your life. There are things that you can look at as far as resilience and, um, you know, the example that you can set for your child that, you know, last forever. And I think for me, um, my daughter was six when I was diagnosed and I, it was hard for me to know what she was going to take out of this experience. And I did worry that it would just like mess her up for life. Um, but she is almost 11 now and she is so proud of me as a cancer survivor. And that really has, um, I mean, it's really, she's proud of herself too. 
you know, because I have tried my absolute hardest to make her understand that she is, she's dealt with things that most adults have difficulty with and that she has come out the other side of it. And she has more empathy for people. She is able to understand why her friends who are, you know, having a parent that's divorcing might be having a hard time. Um, These are, are character traits that only come out of difficult times. And for me, when it comes to parenting, to realize that we can't solve all of the hard things in our kids' lives, life is hard. And whether we want to or not, they're going to face difficulties in their lives. But to have them go through something like this while you're there to hold their hand, you're helping them to build that resilience. You're helping them to build, um, you know, a strong character that will serve them for the rest of their lives. And honestly, I can't think of a better silver lining than that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you're talking, I'm just thinking so much about the big challenge that we have to overcome first, but that we have to teach them is that there isn't shame in having hard things come into our lives and into our families. It's not, wasn't your fault that, you know, you got diagnosed with breast cancer. It's not her fault that, you know, her mom had breast cancer and somehow shame lives at the root of so many of these things. And if we can start having conversations about them, then the shame evaporates. And like you said, then she learns to go on and face other things. Do you remember the day that you, um, you know, you describe in your story how the books that you were finding didn't quite cut it. So do you remember the day that you finally had, and it was probably many conversations, but you know, the day that you finally had that conversation with her. And I'm just wondering if you could paint that picture a little bit for someone who's like, yeah, but literally how do I talk to her, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, So the book that I wrote is called What Happens When Someone I Love Has Cancer. And that really encapsulates kind of the way that I explained the science of cancer to her. So what I would recommend to anybody is to basically read that first so that you kind of have the words and you don't necessarily sit down with a book with your kid, but it can help you to you know, get the words uh, that you need in order to explain it. So my boyfriend and my mom were in the living room and I just had the worst feeling in my stomach when I had to have this conversation. And I went into my daughter's room where she was playing and I said, I need to talk to you about something. And she could tell by my anxiety level that it was serious And I just said, have you heard the word cancer before? And she said, no, maybe. (laughs) And I said, well, let me explain to you what it is. Basically, our bodies are built out of all of these little itty bitty things called cells. And they're kind of like building blocks. But the cool thing about them is that they can build a new one anytime they need more. So our bodies are constantly making these building blocks called cells all the time. The problem is that sometimes a broken one gets made. And when it's broken, it's confused and it doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing. And so all it does is make more and more and more cells. And that might seem like it's not a problem, but it can make 
a big mess in your body where the cells that are doing jobs, you know, like making your skin or making your heart pump or your blood, it can make it so that it's hard for those cells to do their jobs. And when there's a whole bunch of broken cells, that's called cancer. And so I basically just explained to her that there are different levels of cancer. Like it can be something really small if you have like one broken cell, or it can be something bigger where if there's a broken cell and he makes lots of friends and then they like are traveling all over the body, that can be a big deal. So I said, you know, I am lucky that, you know, I found that I have this, but I found it when there's only like one or two guys. So they're going to remove the cancer from my body and, you know, then I will be better. But that means that I have to have surgery to remove my breasts because that's where they found the broken cells. And she looks at me and she's like, are you going to die? And I thought to myself, well, that went <laughs> that went from A to Z really quickly. Um, and I said, no, I'm not. Um, and I think the answer to that question, if you're not sure about the answer, can be something like, you know, sometimes people do die from cancer, but there are so many different types of medicines that doctors can give people now to help get rid of it. And my doctors are doing everything that they can. So, you know, I will let you know what happens. Um, but that like baseline explanation of how it works in the body served as a foundation because later on, after I had my double mastectomy, they found that it had spread to one of my lymph nodes. And initially they thought I wasn't even going to need chemo. Um, but I was able to go back to my daughter and say, you know, remember how I said that I only had one or two guys Well, they found one of them was starting to travel. And so I need some medicine and the medicine is kind of stupid. It kills all the bad cells, but it also kills some of the good ones. So I'm going to lose my hair. Um, but the other important thing I wanted to make sure to say to her was that the word cancer is a really powerful word and that people have strong reactions to it because they don't know whether I have like lots of broken cells or one broken cell and that until they find out how, you know, how much cancer I have, they might have dramatic reactions and I don't want those reactions to scare her. Um, because the other thing is usually this happens to older people. So they might be shocked you know, and that she should feel safe to come to me and say that person's reaction scared me. And I can explain to her again, you know, what it is that is actually happening to me instead of what those people are thinking in their own heads. And so she seemed to feel better after that first conversation. And she went into the living room. <laughs> she says to my boyfriend, so mommy told me, and he was like, what did she tell you? And she goes, she has a thing. I don't remember what it's called, but she's not going to die. <laughs> All right. So it just became kind of an ongoing conversation. Like you were talking about with shame. I wanted to make sure she knew this was a conversation that we could have as many times as she wanted or needed. And, um, you know, we just talked about it 
all the time. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Sarah. I love it so much. And I love the interpretation too, where she's like, I don't know the particulars, but I almost don't really need to anymore. Like I know mom's there. She'll tell me when I need to know. And like, I can just feel in that story, like the release of some tension there, because it's a lot when you're dealing with cancer to also be carrying your child's anxiety through the whole thing as well. Like we have enough of our own anxiety, obviously. She's constantly asking me if she's going to get cancer. Mm. And I'm sort of familiar with that feeling because every woman in my family had it with the exception of my mom and my aunt died. And so part of when I, when I was developing, I was like, mom, I think I have cancer. And she's like, what? And I was like, right here, I feel like a hard lump. And she was like, that's just part of developing. Um, But yeah, I have to keep having conversations with my daughter about, um, you know, I can't promise her that she won't get it. But if she does, there will be years down the line. um, And doctors, there are people who many, many people whose jobs are dedicated to coming up with better ways to treat cancer, to cure it. Um, and that by the time she's old enough to have it, it will be a completely different situation. And I, I also like to point out that like, since I had cancer, I have friends that have gone through chemo and not lost all their hair because they're using like cold capping. Like that is a like very visual, tangible way of showing that, you know, it doesn't have to. Uh, it, it will improve and things will get better with time. No. I think there's a lot of families, who, including those that are close to me, who have felt like they wanted to keep this information from their kids because they didn't want them to experience the anxiety. But it actually has the complete opposite effect um, that you think it will. Like the kids then they know something is going on. They can feel your energy. They can feel that something is happening, but they get the message when you don't talk to them about it, that it's not something they are allowed to talk about. And so that anxiety is something that they are feeling and then hiding. Mm -hmm. And so they're processing it on their own. And that's why it's so important, you know, for us as the adults to go through the uncomfortable feeling of, having this conversation, which we would much rather not do. um, We're doing it because we don't want our kids to have to face this internally alone. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for giving us a roadmap for how that conversation can look and for creating the tools that you have. Can you um, let people know where they can find you and find all of your amazing stuff? Thanks. Yeah, um, my business is called Mighty and Bright, and you can find me on mightyandbright.com. And my books are also available on Amazon if you just search for my name, which is Sarah Olsher, S-A-R-A-O-L-S-H-E-R. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. And I'll just add, um, you you kind of threw it in there, but just to hit the point that you do help kids with a variety of hard topics, not just um, our cancer, but divorce and, and now also kid cancers. Is that right? Yeah, I think what I really realized, especially in the middle of the pandemic, was that our kids are really dealing with a lot of mental health issues. And my goal is really to help them cope with those things as much as possible. So 
Um, I have I have a book and calendar kit for divorce, for a parent or sibling with cancer, for um, child's own diagnosis, and also for just change in general, whether it's moving or dealing with a pandemic. Um, my newest book is called Nothing Stays the Same, But That's Okay. And it includes coping skills and all sorts of things that can help kids deal with difficult things in their lives. Mm. Amazing, Sarah. So glad to have you in the world doing this work. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, April. Absolutely. So today's writer and guest was Sarah Ulsher. Her piece, again, was called Talking to Kids About Cancer, and you can find that in the January 2020 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Change Makers. Thank you again, Sarah. Stay till the end of this to get a Parenting with Cancer-inspired writing prompt. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. Our producer is Bill Smith, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org and take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. And here's your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. Seriously, keep your hand moving or your fingers tapping. There's magic to leaning into the time. So here's your prompt. Write a letter to your child for them to read when they're older, say 18, about what's really going on in your family right now. Sarah and I have been talking about using language and talking to kids where they are right now, but I want you to imagine your child as an older teen or even a young adult. Then you don't have to worry about using language or concepts for young children. Instead, think back on big events that happened in your own childhood. How wonderful would it have been if your parents could have given you the backstory? If they could fill in some of those question marks that might still be lingering. If they could say, what you didn't know, what I never told you was. So go ahead and begin your letter with the name of your child, dear so-and-so. Maybe you don't have a child? That's okay, this prompt works for all sorts of loved ones. Write to whomever is close to you, eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out, and what you may have been hiding. Happy writing, thanks for listening, take care.